Welcome to the Bible Answer Show, a live and lively forum that brings together pastoral and apologetic voices from across the Christian community to answer your scripture questions. Our show is hosted by Pastor Michael Lance of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, along with a panel of pastors and other invited guests. The phone lines are open now. So, you've got questions, we've got answers on today's Bible Answer Show. Good afternoon, and thanks for tuning in to the Bible Answer Show, where we take your calls and answer your questions. Sounds easy enough. All you have to do is call 1-800-227-5278, 1-800-227-5278. We're taking your calls and questions regarding the Bible, regarding uh, the Christian life, uh, anything you got going on, give us a call, and uh, we'll be uh, answering those here. Uh, you can also email at uh, answers at livingtruthradio.org, answers at livingtruthradio.org, or you can tweet us at livingtruthtbas, that stands for the Bible Answer Show, livingtruthtbas. Hey, give us a follow. So far, we've got uh, one follower. That's Pastor Brian. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Mike Massaro. I'll be picking up your calls, handing them off to our team of wacky pastors today, including Pastor Coach Chris Van Hook, Pastor Brian Richards, and Senior... Oh, wait. Pastor Michael's chair is empty today. Uh-oh, where'd he go? Uh, I don't know. Where did he go? He's well, attending, actually, attending... Pastor Michael is, uh, is playing in a fundraising... Uh, golf tournament today. Ah, so, we knew it was. So we pray that he's having a great day out there, and and it's nice for him to have a day off, and uh, and we ask that you would take a little bit easy on us while he's not here today. <laughs> We're going to so. try not to burn the house down while Pastor Michael is away. I was thinking he could have like a headset, you know, and while he's I, taking you know, his sure. swing, he could answer sure. some questions. What a slacker! All right, yeah. next time he's going to do a remote from the course. <laughs> All right, so give us a call. We got some open lines, 1-800-227-5278. Don't just not call because Pastor Michael's not here. These guys are uh, more than capable of answering any questions you got, so bring it. All right, we're going to go to uh, the grab bag here as I reach into the grab bag to pull out a question. Hmm. Uh, here's one. Guys, is the King James Version of the, of the Bible the only Bible Christians should trust and read? That is such a common question in America and in the West, those of us that are English speaking. And whenever I talk about this issue, I, I always want to remind myself and I want to remind my audience, whoever I'm talking to, that we are very spoiled with the amount of English translations that we have. Most countries have one, maybe two translations uh, or most languages, and there are many uh, people groups that have no translation, and there are there are organizations like uh, Wycliffe, Wycliffe that are dedicated to getting the word of God out in everybody's native tongue. And so, first off, I just always want us to remember that uh, this debate, you know, it's it's from a place of privilege. Because we have such a tremendous amount of, of translations and schools of thought on it. So uh, the quick answer is no. The King James is not the only uh, English translation that we should use, nor is it even the best translation that we should use. And here's why. 
Um, when the King James was first translated, it was based on the best Greek manuscripts that we had at the time. Um, it was it was put together by a godly team of people, and it it um, reflected the language of the day. That's why when you read it, it it's almost at some point similar to like reading Shakespeare, uh, because that's just kind of how the English was then. Well, you know, that was hundreds of years ago. And the English language has, has changed tremendously since then. I mean, some words mean the exact opposite of what they used to. Even in the King James, you find that. And not only has language changed, but archaeologists have, have discovered more Greek manuscripts and better Greek manuscripts. And by better, I mean they're older. And, uh, you know, for our listeners, I don't want to get, you know, too bogged down in, in the, you know, this, the subject, but um, the, way, the way we know an ancient manuscript is reliable is um, how old it is compared to the original. We don't have the original text of the Bible. We don't have the original of any ancient uh, document. We have copies of them. But the time between the original and the copies is really important because the more time, the more legend and fable and exaggeration can be added in, the less time, the better. And we have discovered since the King James, older, better Greek manuscripts. And so some of the more uh, modern translations, I would say, are, are even a little bit better for today, for the English that we speak and are a little bit more accurate to the Greek. So um, translations like the NASB, um, you know, that that one was really big in the 80s and 90s, and it still continues to be uh, well known. I I would say today the ESV might be um, the best English translation to take that, you know, this this is just my opinion on the matter. But, uh, you know, that that's just kind of where we're at, I think, today. And in 100 years from now, there'll probably be an even better one. Yeah, I, that's a great answer, Pastor Brian, and I, I agree with all of that. And I think uh, people kind of get hung up on certain things and certain words. And uh, yeah, yes, there are some translations. You might find some sort of theological bias, but you know, it's funny, people tell me this all the time, and then I look for them, and I can't really find them. <laughs> Uh, and, and so I think the main thing you need to understand about all the translations there is today, just to be on the safe side, is to understand which ones are word for word, where they literally tried to translate each word. If you know anything about languages, you know that's very difficult, because there are some words that will absolutely not translate into English, or you know, yeah. if you're trying to translate from English into German, or whatever it may be, they will not translate. So then there are some uh, versions that are called thought for thought, and what they did there was when words didn't translate word for word, they tried to capture the thought and then translate that into the thought in modern English that we don't have to retranslate. I, I joke oftentimes about when people teach out of the King James, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but mm-hmm. oftentimes you have to translate twice. You have to translate, first of all, King James into English into our English, like Brian said, because some of those words are totally different. And then you can go back to the Greek and say, and here's what the Greek has to say to just get a fuller understanding, or here's what the Hebrew has to say to get a, a fuller understanding. But most of the 
um, versions that you get out there are so well done. They're so scholarly mm-hmm. um, that you can really have great faith and trust. Now, there there's a couple of versions where they've tried to, um, let's say, put some political correctness into them, and I would stay away from those because you want to have the accurate, accurate uh, words that it says. And just for instance, there are some that have tried to uh, change all the words that would normally mean mankind and, and, and use the word mankind instead of man. I think it's important for us to look and make sure we know which ones are and which ones aren't and those types of things. But uh, there are, I like what you said, Brian, that we're coming from a place of privilege. And I want you to think about we just celebrated the 499th anniversary of the Reformation. And without that, we wouldn't be having this discussion because we wouldn't even be able to read our own translations Hmm. of the Bible. So it's a wonderful thing. All right. You're listening to the Bible Answer Show. We're taking your calls live up until about 1225, maybe, (laughs) if we can sneak in. But anyway, give us a call, 1-800-227-227. 5278. You can email at answers at Living Truth Radio or send a tweet at Living Truth TBAS. We will take your questions. Like uh, Lori gave us a call. Lori from Corona, you're on with the Bible Answer Show. Yeah, one answer on Psalm 6818. What is that exactly saying? What, what, I don't know what captives in your train mean exactly. And it's also referred to the, the I don't know I'm in a Bible study and we're doing the Ephesians 4 8 through 10 and it was also referred to Psalms 68:18 and I just want to know exactly how those two correlate and what they mean Yeah, Lori. Does um, that make sense? It does. Yeah. Um I'm going to go ahead and read Ephesians 4:8 here. It says um therefore It says, and it's quoting from the Psalms, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Um, And it goes on from there. There's two schools of thought on uh, this, and both of them make make a strong case. This is not an essential doctrine to being a Christian. Both of these are good um, theories on, on how to how to interpret this. Um, the first one is that um, it's referring to Jesus when he was crucified. His body was buried in a tomb for three days, but his soul uh, went down into the lower parts of the earth, and and that's being used as an idiom for the place of the dead. And uh, he went into Abraham's bosom, which was sort of a holding place for uh, people who believed in the Messiah in the Old Testament. And Jesus went down and he preached the full gospel to them and then took them up into heaven. And, uh, and he did that within those three days, excuse me, that he was, uh, that he was uh, crucified and he was buried. Um, the other view is that it's referring to Christ descending from heaven to earth. And so when it says he leads a host of captives and he's giving gifts to men, it's referring to the gospel being preached to mankind. And when it says, um, you know, he's going to ascend again, it's, it's talking about him going back up into heaven. And I, um, it, both in Bible college and in seminary, I, I wrestled between the two. I guess I lean towards the second one, 
um, at this point, but I go back and forth. And, and just like with any of the non-essential doctrines, I, I try to keep an open mind on it. Yeah, and, and I think the important part is it, it talks about you led the captivity uh, captive uh, in, in, in the Psalms and uh, also in Ephesians there. And I think the idea is that, you know, we were prisoners to the law and we've been set free and that all happened by Christ's death and resurrection. And I think that that's the major idea here. I, I tend to think the giving of gifts to men is, I agree, it's the gospel of salvation, and it's also the spiritual gifts that he's given to the church. Yeah. I think that's what that represents right mm -hmm. there. So I would agree with Brian that it, it, you know there is two major views of this. I think both of them have... Um, you know, you could you could go either way, and I don't think you'd be doing any damage to anything else in in the scripture there. Um, but I think we always want to stick with what's what's the overall meaning, and why did Paul even bother, you know, quoting it here? And I think the idea is, is to remind us that you know that Jesus has set us free by His death and resurrection, and He has given us the gift of eternal life and spiritual gifts while we're here on this earth um, to build the body of Christ. All right. Thanks for your call, Lori. Uh, go ahead and give us a call if you're listening to the Bible Answer Show and you want to uh, ask a question to our guys here. Uh, we have some open lines, so if you call in now, I promise you, you will get in. Uh, <laughs> Are you I'm sure not, about that, I Mike? I know I can back that up. But, uh, <laughs> um, we guarantee it here at the Bible Answer okay. Show. If, if you don't get in, we will uh, compensate you somehow. Uh, just uh, see Pastor Michael for that one. Well, I know you have like a box full of oven mitts <laughs> just yes. waiting oh, to waiting. be passed out, out. So, Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to jump back into the grab bag for this one. Uh, guys, uh, the question here is, and uh, well, let me ask it. I don't understand why Jesus takes out his frustration on a fig tree. Hmm. Why does he do this in Mark 11, 12 through 14? <laughs> he just smited that fig tree. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know that it was Jesus taking out frustration on the fig tree here. And there, there's been, you know, several, you know, thoughts about this. And, and you know, the plain fact is that Jesus, once again, um, you know, there are some people say, well, it was just the fact that he was trying to show us that, you know, a fig tree has a purpose and has to bear fruit, and it wasn't doing that. And even though it wasn't the technically the right season for it, you know, I think the analogy there for us is that we're we're told to be prepared in season and out of season, um, you know, to share the gospel here. But I don't know if that's the actual you know equivalent of what Jesus was trying to do right there. Again, the fig tree often represents Israel in Scripture, and so there are a lot of people who would carry this. Uh, interpretation of this to the fact that actually Jesus is trying to show the disciples here, um, you know, that Israel is not bearing the fruit that it was meant to bear. Israel's job was to share God and who God is uh, with everyone around and be God's representative here on earth. And at the time that Jesus came onto earth, um, the leaders of Israel were certainly um, not doing that. And that was apparent by the fact that they attacked him from day one. And so I think what he's trying to show here, and also, you know, in, in this situation, just, you know, <laughs> he says, well, you know, why are you surprised about this? Why, why would you be surprised that if Jesus cursed the fig tree that the next day it would be withered? I mean, they saw these other miracles. It shouldn't have been a surprise to him. Um, but I think, what do you think, Brian? I think the analogy there is that Israel was not bearing the fruit they should, and this is what this represented. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, if, if you jump down to Mark eleven twenty one, 
uh, Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you have cursed is withered. And Jesus goes on. He doesn't really give him an answer about it, but he does say, have faith in God. And then he says one of those audacious things that Jesus had a knack for doing. He says, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it'll be done. He goes on to say, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And I think Jesus was challenging their faith as he was constantly when he was on earth. I mean, he was constantly challenging people to have more faith in him, which, you know, today we don't use that word faith too much. I think, you know, maybe a hundred years from now, (laughs) when we have a new English translation, that word faith might be better translated as trust, Trust. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's, you know, essentially what what it refers to. You're trusting in somebody. You are incapable of doing something and you need the help of another. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we do for our salvation. Israel thought they could justify themselves through the law. Jesus was frustrated with them for trying to do that. The law wasn't meant to justify. It was meant to reveal sin. Mm. And uh, he was always pleased with people's faith. Them just simply saying, God, I can't do it. I need your help. Yeah, you know, Pastor Brian, that's, that brings up a great point that we should share with our listeners. You know, you brought up the word faith and, the, and that really we, we have to kind of combine those words together. Faith, belief, and trust, they're, they're all mm-hmm. included in this. But one thing that I'm kind of adamant about, and I've done this with myself, is that we tend to use the word faith and we don't add the fact that it's always faith in Jesus Christ. So mm. when he's challenging people yeah. to faith, he's not challenging you to try harder in your faith. You know, we have mm. this idea of if I just try harder to believe more, I'll just believe more. That's what he's talking about. No, what he's saying is just trust him more. Yeah. You know, to have more faith means we just trust Jesus more than ever. And that only comes, I think you would agree with, by the fact the more that we practice having faith and we watch what God does in our life, then our faith just grows, and we're able to trust Him more and more. I think that's true with anything. You know, if I, I always use this example, if, if I have a chair, and I, at first I wonder, if I sit in that chair, is it going to hold me, or is it possibly broken and I might fall to the ground? Well, every time I sit in it and it holds me, it gives me more faith that, hey, it's going to hold me again mm-hmm. the next time, mm-hmm. to a point where I would never think about it. I would just sit in that chair. And unfortunately, if somebody tries to, you know, play a joke on you and they make it so it falls down, that's not good for you. But, but you're. I try to do that to Mike yeah. like every program. I was going to say you and Sh- I shouldn't have given you and Shane an idea here, but, but that's the point of just con- continuing to exercise the faith God's given us. It does tell us too that faith is a gift from God. There are people who have more faith just because mm. it's one of the spiritual gifts. And but all of us, the more we exercise faith, the easier it is to continue to do it again because it's exercising our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not in our faith itself. Guys, I know that um, sometimes people look at this passage about the fig tree and they they look at it, they put themselves in the place of the fig tree. Like, if I'm not producing fruit, mm. Is, mm. is Jesus going to curse me? Am, am, am I being you know? Mm. You know, Mike, I, that's a great yeah. point, and, and just to address that, that's just not how God works in our life, and, and it's not true, but it, a lot of people do think that, and they get really defeated in mm-hmm. their Christian life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the point there is to understand that, look, it, it, it's all about, we were just talking about this before the show, it's all about our surrendering to Jesus more um, and to allowing the Holy Spirit to, to work in our life, in our heart. and. 
for those that are in that place right now that might be listening, if you're in that place right now where you, you're afraid that, well, God cursed me because I'm just not walking with him the way that I should. Well, there's two things that I just want to encourage you to do. Number one is to go to him in confession, agree with God that you're not doing uh, life the way that you should be or the way he would want you to be. That's the first step. Then number two, receive the forgiveness in relationship that he has. You're already, if you're a believer in Christ, you're already saved. But now you can restore that relationship to where it should be because you've agreed with God. And it says in 1 John that he's faithful and just to forgive you of that sin and cleanse you from that unrighteousness. And then I would encourage you to just take a step, as Pastor Brian, just one of those steps of faith to say, you know, I'm just going to start today and I'm going to spend more time with Jesus. I'm going to spend more time in his word, more time in his prayer, and just ask the Holy Spirit to work in my life and allow him to do that. But God will never curse you. He will never curse you. And if you feel that, that's the enemy speaking to you. The enemy will condemn you. The Holy Spirit will just convict you. Mm. And that's how you know the difference. Mm. Amen. Hey, uh, before we move on, I want to talk to the guys out there. Hey, we're having a, uh, we're having a men's breakfast here at Living Truth uh, tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., uh, so guys, come on out. It's a great time. There's, there's all kinds of food. There's pancakes and eggs and bacon and you name it. Uh, even some uh, fruit and yogurt for the uh, for the Pastor Bryans of the world, uh, and, <laughs> and it uh, won't be a withered. It won't be withered fruit. <laughs> there, there may be a, wi- a withered fig. We're not sure. Uh, but yeah, come on out tomorrow, eight a.m. It's a great time of fellowship, and there's a uh, great teaching by uh, Pastor Michael. He'll be he'll be uh, having a message tomorrow as well. We're located off uh, Lincoln and River here in Corona. Uh, if you want more. Um, Specific directions, you can go to livingtruthcorona.org. Mike, I also wanted to give a quick plug. We didn't get to do it this week, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, those of us, those of you that are listening to this program, I would assume that you have a hunger for God's Word and, and you enjoy studying it and going deeper. You like to get your questions answered. And uh, we have another, you know, journey we'd love you to, to join uh, with us. And it's a two-year program here at Living Truth called the Truth Academy, and it's launching in January of next year. And it's a it's a two-year Bible college program. It's built for those that have a full-time job, or they have a full-time family, or you know they just live a really busy life and they can't you know leave the state or you know go to a, a college full-time. Um, these are evening classes, but this is seminary level education at a fraction of the cost and in a fraction of the time. And if you're interested in something like that, you want to get some more information, uh, you can visit our website at thetruthacademy.com and applications are now being accepted for the, uh, for our inaugural, uh, quarter, which is in January 27. Yeah. Pastor Brian, did I, did I hear right that the 2017, top... not 27, yeah. that's a... Uh, Past tense. <laughs> did, did I hear right that the top graduate gets a guest spot on the Bible Answer Show? Is that is that true? Oh, I that's not a bad idea. I mean, at least they'll get an oven mitt, <laughs> bare minimum. But uh, that's that's not a bad idea. <laughs> All right, well, guys, uh, you know we got a everybody knows, and well, maybe this is news to somebody. We have an election coming up next week. <laughs> Uh, on, on Tuesday. And uh, I kind of joked with the guys earlier about this, uh, but we have a question here. And the question is, is how should we view a tragedy or a disaster as Christians? Uh, you know, it might be, uh, might be relevant, maybe not. But I know that every time we have, 
you know, there's some natural disaster, you know, mm -hmm. there's always a pastor, you know, chiming in from somewhere saying, mm -hmm. you know, this is a judgment from God, mm -hmm. or if there's a terrorist attack, sometimes um, we're not, we don't know how to react all the time, you know, and, and I want to know what you guys think, um, you know, how should we, I don't know if you could say how we should react, but what are mm -hmm. your opinions on, on, on tragedy or, or disaster happening in the world? That's a great question. And, I, you know, I get asked that question quite often, too. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned one thing. I, I, I would encourage pastors to be very careful about what they say when we have these kinds of tragedies, whether it be a natural one or a terrorist attack. Uh, there are many who have been saying this is the judgment of God on us. And look, the truth of the matter is we've deserved judgment all throughout our history. Um, and, you know, if you look at the way God did judgments uh, in the Bible, you know, they were very clear when he was going to make a judgment. Um, you'll see it prophesied ahead of time. And yes, we do see the prophecy, you know, uh, in, in Revelation of what's going to eventually happen that. But to just take one single event and connect it to that, I think is very dangerous, and I don't think it's very helpful. Um, in terms of how we respond, I think we do have to understand that we do live in a sin-cursed world, and it is evidence of that, and it, it should remind us of that. You know, I remember the, the, first, uh, the first Gulf War that we went into, and, and it was just amazing, uh, you know, at church how crowded we were for that first couple months when that, because, you know, people realize, look, this is serious business that's going on here. And, and so they tend to, you know, flood back into the church there and ask, okay, what's God doing here? And maybe I need to get right with God, and that's a good thing, because who knows what's going to happen here. Um, so I think we need to look at it that way, that, that it is evidence that we still live in a sin-cursed world, um, that it's part of that, that curse. And um, drawing specific conclusions, it's okay, I think, to look at it and go, how does this fit into what the Bible says? One minute warning. But, um, but not to be too dogmatic on what you think that might be. What do you think, Pastor Brian? The one thing we want to be careful about with, with tragedy is we don't want to blame God for it. Uh, God is not the author of evil. Um, evil came about through our own free choice, and we choose evil, and that's brought about our, you know, our own consequences come from bad choices, but also just the curse that God has put on sin in this world. Um, you know, that's, that's all a part of it. You know, what it does remind me of is in John chapter nine, you had a man who was born blind and the, uh, the disciples of Jesus, you know, a bit arrogantly say to Jesus, uh, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. They had this superiority complex towards him. And Jesus was like, it wasn't the man and it wasn't his parents. It wasn't his fault. And it wasn't the parents fault. Um, it's just part of this world, it's part of the, the fallen nature, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And we know that Jesus healed him of those things. And so as believers, through any tragedy, we can have hope that in the name of Jesus, the best is yet to come. Amen. All right, The Bible Lance Show is produced by Shane Lance and Cameron Thomas. Special thanks to Tamara screening our calls today. Hey, The Bible Answer Show is a listener-supported ministry, so if you want to help keep this show on the air, you can donate at livingtruthradio.org. Uh, thanks to the caller today. Thanks to uh, you guys for showing up. Uh, good luck, Pastor Michael, out there on the links. And uh, hey, we'll catch you next week on The Bible Answer Show.
Thanks for joining the conversation on the Bible Answer Show. To find out more about the radio ministry, Michael Lance, or the church he pastors in Corona, Living Truth Christian Fellowship, visit livingtruthradio.org. Please tell your friends about us and invite them to join us any weekday here on K-Bright. And if they have questions, we'll have answers on the next Bible Answer Show. Forget this program.